0: Okay, I was wondering if I could have someone read uh, our, our scripture here that's on the cover of this, uh, this study. 1 John 5, 1 through 5, because I think this is really capturing what is involved in the life of an overcomer. So if I have somebody uh, read that, and by the way, you guys in the front row, I'm going to call on you guys to read the. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> I feel much better now, David. In case I get in trouble, I can go to my, 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 my ringer in the front row. I, I know so, the pearl right, right here. So. <laughs> 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 so why don't we go ahead and get started, and Jim? Okay. Great. Would you uh, read First uh, John 5, 1 through 5 for us, please? Everyone who believes that Jesus is Christ was God, everyone who likes the Father loves the child as well. How we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out His commands. This is love for God. will obey His commands, and His commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only He who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. You know, to get started, I think the, the first word that jumps out in this passage for most of us is overcomer. And an overcomer is someone who overcomes the world. If you look at the Greek for this passage, overcomer, that word, is taken from the root, and the Greek word is nike. And nike, you might have a little familiarity with a famous sports apparel manufacturer that borrows this root. The word means conquer, prevail, get the victor. <coughs> not surprising why that company <coughs> might use that root word. But the, re, the reality here is we want to take a look at what it is to be an overcomer. Because it's both a condition in which we live and a response to that condition. And uh, I forewarn you uh, for the guys who have been through two teachings on uh, a great deal of... Uh, Knowing the will of God, so we're gonna we're gonna kind of go through that pretty quick. So just kind of hang on to your hats for that, and uh, then we're gonna go uh, into what I hope uh, is some useful uh, practical application taken from not only my experience but from some great teachers who have poured into me, and I hope it's a, a blessing unto you. So before we get started, let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we uh, We've had a lot to think about. Father, I, uh, I know that uh, at times the, uh, the mind resists taking anything more in. Father, uh, at this time, Lord, I just uh, ask that you would expand our capabilities, Lord, uh, in ways that we cannot even possibly imagine. Father, I ask that uh, you would uh, use me as a vessel, Lord, uh, however unworthy, to speak your wonderful words of life. And Father, I just uh, pray that, uh, Lord, you you would just open each man's heart, that uh, not only uh, would he hear, but he would do. And uh, Lord, we, uh, we just thank you for this time together, ask for your blessing upon it, and just give you all the praise. Amen. Okay, so let's take a look at this, the life of an overcomer. Well... As we look at this passage, I'd like to make several observations about our passage. Uh, First of all, you see right at the beginning of the passage that there is a qualifying condition of being an overcomer. And that is what? You've got to be a believer. You can't do anything that matters for eternity if you're not a believer. Okay. So one of the things that we have to look at is Jesus is the qualifier. Jesus is the qualifying condition that makes us an overcomer. Now, one of the things I want to just stress here is everyone in this room, in a sense, as believers, is an overcomer. But the second observation I'd make is sometimes we don't act like it. And that is really where we're going to spend our time. Because that is the second aspect of being an overcomer. That is the process that God is taking us all through. Which, by the way, He's in control of. And He is making us overcomers. So the good news is, He will make you an overcomer. The not so good news is, you can abort the process. So God allows that. And I don't mean in the sense that you can abort it, that his plan would not be accomplished. But let me suggest you can abort it to the point that you would enter into the permissive will of God, and that is not a place anybody wants to be. You can abort it to the point that you can miss the blessings. You can abort it to the point that you'll stand before the Lord Jesus and will not have anything to offer him except as a man escaping through the flames. You'll be in heaven, but you'll stand before your Lord and Savior with nothing to offer. I would suggest to you that this passage also tells us that the process of an overcomer is obedience. And I would say that uh, that is the only response that makes sense relative to the qualifying condition of being an overcomer which is the blood of Jesus shed for you. So when we look at this, we also see a couple other things in this passage. Obedience defines what? Right in the middle of that passage, can you see what obedience defines? For God. Love for God. Obedience equals our love for God. I want to also offer an observation that obedience is a great litmus test of where our faith is and where our hope is. If obedience is an option, I'll suggest to you that your faith is in bad shape and your hope is not in the eternal so, with that as background, let's dive in and see what God has for us. I want to talk about uh, why we can act contrary to this. And we've heard some of this, and I'm going to go fairly quickly through it. We can act contrary to being an overcomer by either being ignorant of the Word, either refusing to engage the Word, not hearing the Word. Sometimes you wonder after you listen to some of these speakers if you want to hear more, but. You know God is just giving you what uh, you need to work on it for this time. You can uh, not act like an overcomer by sowing to the flesh. And we've talked about that in great length today. And you can be uh, acting like, frankly, a loser by the fact that you are existing in a condition of spiritual warfare and not knowing how to respond. Satan asks God to sift you. It cannot happen apart from God's hand. Nonetheless, it happens. And it happens so it produces in us perseverance and hope. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Now, I want to tell you, there are rewards to being an overcomer. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, I I hate to admit it, I, I like to say, well, what's in it for me? The good news is God put that in me, so I asked that question. But what's in it for me? In the temporal, which means today, before we're in eternity, being an overcomer allows me to live in assurance that I'm in His will. Which means that anything that is happening in my circumstances, I didn't bring about. God brought about i got to tell you, having lived through some difficult circumstances, as all of you have, that is a great comfort. A great comfort. And the other thing that it does for me is allows me to be faithful to the opportunity that he provides. And by virtue of that, faithfulness to opportunity, that is what I will stand at the BBC of Christ for. At the believer's judgment, I will stand before. And the question of uh, who is Christ is already answered because I'm at the believer's judgment. The second question is my faithfulness, to opportunity. And that's what an overcomer is living for, to be able to answer that question. Okay, what are the, what are the rewards in the temporal? Okay, I, I look at it out of Galatians 5:22 through 24, the fruit of the Spirit. Who would not want to live in this life With the fruit of the Spirit being how people see you. Wow, what a great blessing that would be. Beyond that, I mean, to to have peace, joy, those are things that I gotta tell you, the fallen world, and unfortunately, many Christians that aren't living as overcomers, are facing. In the eternal, Wonderful rewards. 1 Corinthians 3, 10-15, and we'll come to the verses later, where it talks about building on a foundation other than Christ Jesus at the bema seat that will be burned away. There won't be anything there in the way of rewards. But if we build on that foundation of Jesus, if we sow to the things that are eternal there will be rewards in heaven. Our existence in heaven will not be the same for all the men in this room. You will be in heaven, but what that looks like won't be the same for all of us. Which makes a lot of sense when you think about a just God. And I'll come back to that in a minute. But i got to tell you, all of us as overcomers do have the rewards in Revelation. And I won't take you through all these scriptures. But as overcomers... We're going to eat of the tree of life. We won't be hurt by the second death. We will enjoy some of the hidden manna. I've got to tell you, I don't even know what that is, but I want to be there for that. We will be given a white stone with a new name on it, a name only you and God will know. You will be given authority over the nations. You will not ever have to worry about your name being erased from the book of life. You will be a pillar in the temple of God, and you will sit down with Christ on his throne. Now I've got to tell you, that's quite a list. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if we Yeah, that's, that's that's kind of an interesting thought. It's got to, I won't, I won't <laughs> even go down that line. Okay. Alright, so let's dive in. Okay, the life of an overcomer has rewards. So Being an overcomer requires that you know and do the will of God. Knowing the will of God, the primacy of the word. I'm going to go through this very, very light touch because you've had about three hours of the best teaching that could ever happen on that. So I'm I'm very thankful to, to Jack and Winston for plowing that ground. But I'm going to talk about something called a hermeneutic, which is a pretty fancy word, but we'll talk about that in a minute, what that actually looks like and why it's important that we have a consistent hermeneutic. I don't plan on spending any time on prayer, not to diminish its importance at all in terms of the importance of of prayer in the life of the overcomer. It's more, really, that we've got so much information already to try and digest. To go down that road, it would be just almost too much to take in. So I'm I'm just going to highlight it here, but uh, I won't touch on it. But it is part of knowing the will of God. And finally, we're going to talk about doing the will of God. And here's where we're going to talk about some practical application. How we can avoid spiritual vertigo. And uh, I think uh, if anybody's had vertigo, I actually do have vertigo. That's, that's kind of why I kind of picked this. Because, you know, you can be standing there one minute looking at something, and the next minute you find the back of your pants. It's a strange kind of thing. But the analogy to, to spiritual vertigo to me is so clear that if you can't focus on the right things, you end up on the back of your pants. Not a good place. Okay? And we're going to talk about alien decision-making. Okay? So there's where we're going. Now we're going to pick up the pace here. Primacy of the Word. Knowing the will of God. One of the things that I, I really want to emphasize that wasn't talked about in great detail is that if you want to know the will of God, you need to know who God is. You need to have a relationship with God. But I gotta tell you, you can't have a relationship with God if you don't know. Him. The one thing that you really have to focus on in looking through the scripture is to look at the character of God. On some of the most difficult issues that we get into in the Bible, oftentimes it is only when you know the character of God that you can find your way through the scriptures. There was a great list Jack put up. You know, I know God. He's he's good. I know He is sovereign. I know He has a plan for me, not to harm me. You know, those are great things to give intellectual assent to. But when God cranks up the pressure, you're going to find out whether you actually believe that or not. And when you get down to in your prayers, God, I have no idea what you're doing. I have no idea why I'm in this circumstance. But I know this. You are good. I know you have my best interest at heart. And wherever you're going to take me, God, at half my income, no income, I've lost my house, it's okay because you are with me. Those are the times when God cranks the pressure on that we'll find out really where our hope is and we'll find out truly what our understanding is of who God is. Okay? I'm not going to go down through all this in the interest of time, but I I will tell you that knowing God in three persons separates every, quote, religion on the face of this planet. You need to know why God in three persons separates you from the Muslim, separates from the Jew, who both will say, well, we serve the same God. No, we don't. My God has Jesus in it. The Hebrew, God, does not. In the sense of the Jewish, today's modern Jewish belief. The Muslims will tell you we look at God through different windows. No, we don't. It's not the same God. Allah is not the same God that I believe in. Okay? You have to know who God is. When you look at God as being sovereign, is He really sovereign in your life? Do you believe He is bigger than any circumstance that you're up against? Are you willing to be obedient despite the fact the world might tell you the easy way to do it to deal with something is on your terms? That's whether so you know whether you believe God is sovereign or not. Is God sovereign to the point that he's in charge of your provision? Go through unemployment and you'll find out whether you believe that. Sovereign. God? Is he sovereign? Is he immutable? I've had people tell me that the God of the Scriptures changes his mind. Let me suggest to you that if God is omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent, control of all things, I doubt he changed his mind. Interestingly, from the Scriptures and our perspective, we have to always keep that in mind because if God is changeable, gentlemen, we are in deep trouble. Because it's tough enough catching up to a God that doesn't <laughs> change. Catch. Try catching up to one who does. Okay? Talked about Jesus. If you don't know who Jesus is, if you don't know Him by these names and where these names come from, you have a limited view of the Savior. I think you have a limited view of grace. And if you don't know who the Holy Spirit is, I think, again, your perspective is is woefully lacking. The scriptures tell us God's plan for man is universal purpose, meaning we all have a universal purpose here. E-square, we talked about that last night, to evangelize and edify. Evangelize the non-believer, edify the believer. We also have a unique purpose. And I would suggest to you that the scriptures help direct you to that. It's a great book out there on biblical purpose. And by the way, I'm going to reference material that's been effective in getting my mind cleared up. I'm not pushing books, okay? And by the way, those books out there may not have been mentioned earlier. If you don't have the money for it, just take the book that you need. Take two or three of those books. But I tell you, there's a great reference out there on biblical purpose. And more times than not, knowing where God has me is when I have a good understanding of my purpose, both from a universal perspective and what he's got me uniquely doing. Because Satan will come to me and offer me second best. We'll talk about that in a minute. It reveals God's promises. I've got to tell you, you've got to know what the promises are. You can go to the wisdom literature, and it uh, talks about the fact that uh, train up a man and a child in the way that you go, and he will not stray from it. That's wisdom literature. It is a truism; it's not a promise. Don't get vertigo by that. But you got to know that, okay? Uh, and it, review- it reveals man's true conditions and desires, and the truth about our time here and in heaven. And I've got to tell you, one of the things that I uh, was blessed by, these, these little word pictures helped me. If you want to get a grasp on the word, grasp. I always love these things. You know, a hand. Hear it, read it, study it. Then you have to meditate on it and memorize it. That's the grasp on the word of God. If you're not doing all those things, I would suggest to you. To make that a part of the discipline. Because one of the things that uh, we always like to do is kind of just get the high points. We live in a cliff note society. Let me tell you, God's got more than cliff notes for you. In fact, the depth that you have to go to when you spend four or five hours on five verses, that's just a plus. How are we doing? we all together? Just making sense? Okay, great. Let's go on then. Let's talk a little bit about uh, understanding God's plan. And we've talked a little bit about this, so I'm not going to spend much time on it. His plan is to bring glory unto Himself. And if you read the Scriptures, you will see that. One of the things that I'd like to mention on this is that uh, bringing glory unto Himself is not a self-serving measure in the sense that we think about it from man's perspective. The good news is With God being holy, pure, when we do things that serve him, it's always in our best interest, as we've heard here a number of times. So for God to bring glory to himself is such a wonderful thing that he would take all these imperfect beings, including myself, and use them to bring glory unto him, because in doing so, we are served. We are given the best of what God has for us. That helps a little bit when we think about those commands as being burdensome. He's given us the Ministry of Reconciliation. Uh, Again, imperfect beings, but you see the scriptures there in 2 Corinthians 5, 18-20. And uh, he's given us the priesthood of believers. And I've given us the priesthood, excuse me, that I would just encourage you, if uh, that term sounds unfamiliar to you, if you don't know what that looks like, Make sure you get over to that session later on. I think you'll be my blessed. for The priesthood is in this room right now. The priests are gathered. Where the saints are gathered? The priests are gathered. Okay? But, uh, by the way, that means we have a job to do. So you need to understand what his plan is, and it looks like E squared. Our condition, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because uh, I tell you, You know, sometimes you get before group and you haven't had uh, three hours of Jack and Winston. So everybody's feeling pretty good about themselves. Is anybody feeling good about themselves right now? Okay, good. We don't have to cover it. (laughs) But I do want to make a point here. We are living in dynamic tension. I think at times we don't really have a good view of the spiritual warfare that's going on around us. Okay? We are in this world but not of this world. We say that very glibly, but then when you stop and think about it, you begin to realize why we have such a trouble with spiritual vertigo. Because we aren't citizens of this world, but 24-7 it's coming at us, and oftentimes we just want to grab onto it. Because in our ways it gives us comfort. But that's not what we're here to do. I want to talk about a couple of things in man's condition that we haven't really touched upon thus far. We are conformed to his image, and I want to talk about what God's plan is and how Satan perverts that in the sense of our own flesh. In the sense of autonomy, which God gives us, God gives us autonomy so we can get out of bed in the morning, so we can walk by faith. But if you ever notice that man wants to be God... So he moves from God. You ever felt that in your own life? And God says, I love you enough to discipline you so I can bring you back into dependence on me. He's given us a sense of autonomy, but he expects us to live in that dynamic tension, always looking to him. And the good news is, if we go too far toward the independence column, he'll move us back. But we have to know that he does want us to get out and walk by faith. I've seen people get paralyzed to the point that they can't do anything. They just keep waiting and they keep seeking, and there's nothing wrong with that. But to the point that, there comes a point that God determines action must take place. And as you grow in your faith, you'll find those road signs along the way of which action is the right action to take become not quite so frequent, but yet God is leading you through your scriptures, through your time in the Word, through the men you're accountable to, to know what to do. So, we have to understand we live with the sense of autonomy that's given to us by God, but we must be dependent on God. We also have to understand that God has given us a sense of justice. We talked about that in just the session we were in. God's justice, which is, I will let you, God, deal with that. My job is forgiveness. Whereas the world would say, man, I can't wait to get it over on. I'll tell you that you really need to grab hold of that concept when your sense of justice gets ruffled inside the body of believers. Because if you don't have a concept under your control, then unity becomes an issue. Division becomes an issue. And the reality is, eventually what you see is bitterness becomes an issue. You become surprised that the body would act in a certain way. We'll talk about that in a minute. And the profit motive a lot of people get really weirded out by quote profit but profit is simply defined as what you believe is in your best interest as Winston just talked about in the previous session you can define profit as dollars, toys temporal reward or you can define profit at crowns you will lay at the feet of Christ the question is where you're defining it, in the temporal or the eternal, and what does it look like. So one of the things we've got to grab a hold of is while we're in the temporal, we must live for the eternal. Interesting thing is, in the temporal, we can do things to sow to the eternal as long as the eternal is in mind. But I would also caution you that the people group that Jesus had the harshest words for were the people who feigned to sow the eternal to serve themselves in the temporal. The eternal can be temporal if it's the temporal in mind. I think we all have as our prayer that as we are priests that we would not look like Pharisees. So We live in a state where we're constantly in tension between what the world and what God says. We live in total depravity. I don't think I need to really touch much more on that because if anybody feels like they're really on top of that, God will set you straight. So we'll just move on. Truth. What is truth? Truth equals the Word. And we've talked about this a lot, but I want to cover a couple of scriptures just to add a few things to it. And I need some readers for this, if I could. Right here from the front group. I'll start with Michael over there. Michael, if you can give me Hebrews 4, 12 through 13. Uh, who's got the Bible? Phil, have you got a Bible handy? Yeah. How about 1 Corinthians 2, 14? Uh, David, how about John 8, 31? <coughs> and uh, Jim, if I can have you get 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. And then Bob, if you would get me 2 Timothy 2, 15. I just want to run through this, again, just to reset our our take on things. The Word has authority over tradition, has authority over man's reasoning, has authority over any other revelation. If some of you are in churches where they embrace the full gifts of the Spirit, you need to know that those gifts are under the authority of the Word. Somebody's got a word for you of prophecy? It better match the Scriptures, or I suggest you disregard it. Somebody wants to speak in tongues. I would suggest you know how to conduct that in a way that God is glorified. Okay? But you have to be a man of the word to know that, okay? Now, the second thing I want to mention here is in looking at the inspired revelation of God, we talked about 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17. But Michael, would you read for us Hebrews 4:12 to 13? For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to Dividing soul and spirit, joins and marrow. He judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Now right in the middle of that, we know we're going to give an account. We're going to give an account for both our thoughts and our actions. Because the Word is going to be capable of judging both things and the Word is Christ. And we're talking about what it looks like, again, at the beam of seat of Christ. Spiritually discerned, you cannot understand the Word without the Spirit of the Lord. Phil, did you read that? man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Spiritual discernment. What breaks spiritual discernment? What do we hear today, guys? Sin. Sin breaks spiritual discernment because it breaks our fellowship. It doesn't change our relationship with God, but it breaks our fellowship. By the way, when you're in under the pressure and sin begins to impact your fellowship and you lose discernment and the chips are down and things really matter, I'll guarantee you, your sin will cease to exist because you will be absolutely, vitally dependent on God. I would also suggest to you that should be there in times of calm. But God takes us to those places where we're out of options so he can teach us that. Next one I'd like to talk about uh, is his ways are higher. We know from all of the what we've been through thus far, I won't touch upon that scripture in Isaiah. I want to tell you that relative truth is a worldly concept and it's not of God. You can read that passage out of 1 Corinthians 3 uh, on your own. But I would like to talk about obedience to God's word as your protection and your freedom. Because in the passage in 1 John, it said, We would keep his commandments and they would not be burdensome in the NASB. Okay? So let's read that passage, John 8 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, "If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples." Sorry, read on. what Would you do? Yeah. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Obviously, I missed that in my computer uh, copying. It was one of those uh, modern day errors. But the truth will set you, set you free. If you keep my commandments, you're my disciple. That's how you know you're a disciple. Not that you're going to... I'm not talking about your batting average here. I'm, I'm talking about you have a heart for obedience. You want to obey. And that will set you free. If you want to overcome this world, you have to be free of this world. Because if you're invested in this world, you're not going to be free of it. And then the opposite starts to happen. Your obedience begins to fail. Okay? And finally, look look at those last two. You want to grow, brothers. I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. Very infants in Christ, I gave you milk, not solid food. You were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? Here we have a spiritual maturity issue. We have babes in Christ going at each other. Uh, let me suggest to you, you want to grow because there's real danger in being a babe in Christ. If you're going to be on milk ten years from now, I suggest to you, you're in danger. Because I would also suggest you go to 1 Peter 5.8 and look at the description of the evil one as a lion roaming this earth looking for someone to devour the good news is God protects us, but the good news also is He raises the bar so that we grow. We wouldn't think for a minute of allowing our own children to sit in the, the state that they are as a one-year-old. We teach them. Why should we adapt a baby's position and say, "I'm saved, Lord," waiting for you to come home? It's just not not scriptural. And we are to be tested and approved workmen out of 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Correctly handling it. This kind of leads us to the next point I want to make which is uh, the next page back which is what's a hermeneutic? Okay. Now hermeneutic is a big word for how to study, interpret, and apply the Bible. And i got to tell you, again, we have some great resources here to help, and I can say that because having attended uh, seminary for a brief time, I've seen some of the resources that are available. Let me suggest to you that being able to properly study, interpret, and apply the word requires that you must do it consistently. The problem with most people's approaches to the word is they don't consistently look at and apply the Bible. That that is the issue. You know, when you get to the guys that they sit back and they get to women's issues and they fall back and they talk about cultural relativity, that's an inconsistency that if you applied it to other areas of the scripture, you would say then, well what then shall you believe? The reality of the situation is that we must be consistent in our application. We must be consistent in our study of the Word. As you can tell, I found a book I liked. It's, uh, in fact, kind of hard to keep the pieces together. This book, by no means, is anything special except a couple of guys that have been pursuing God for more years than I've known the Lord sat down and put together a consistent approach to how to study, interpret, and apply the word. There are rules of application in here, interpretation, and actually six principles on disobedience, which I think reveals a lot to me, might be useful to you. Consistent application of the word is how you become an approved workman. If you're willing to punt when the conditions around you get a little tough, I would suggest to you you've already failed a consistent approach to the Word. Okay? So when you look at this, great study uh, book, I I tell you, if you haven't been through that, I'd grab some guys, and it'll take you about a year to get through it. But I tell you, I, I can't think of anything that could be more important than to have an approach to the Word that you can use. And I'm not saying for a moment, you can just pick this Word up, say, God, reveal Your Word to me. I'm not suggesting that you can't do that, and that is mightily blessed. But i got to tell you, when guys has been walking with the Lord for 40 years or so, I want to hear what He has to say. And i suggest you find some of that in there. Pardon? Punnington. Well, as long as uh, as long as you can appear before Christ and say that, you're right. right. I'm not sure I want to say, "Yeah, Lord, I I knew what you said, I knew what you meant," but you know, my wife didn't like that. I don't think he's going to be impressed. But sometimes on the football field, I me. Ah, a sports analogy. Okay, I'm that sorry. I, thought, for I just wanted to make team sure team I wasn't going down the wrong path there. But that is the issue, though. Guys, that is the issue we're facing this weekend. When your church may not support you in a sound understanding of the Word, are you going to punt Who are you serving? Who is your audience? Let me suggest to you it's an audience of one. And you will meet him at the beam of seat of Christ. Because that is your audience. We have a, we have a real choice, I think, gentlemen, to sit and watch our culture define the word. Or we can let God's word define how we interact with the culture. And I would suggest to you it's a serious, serious matter in this country today. You know, I gotta tell you, I love going around the world and we'll talk today about cats, head covers. Or, yeah. <laughs> or I'm not thinking. Do you realize if you walk outside of America that's not an issue? They don't even ask whether God's word really meant that or not? Do you realize when we talk about giving to the church? There's not a lot of debate about pre tax, after tax. What did he really mean? What's the percentage? How do I get away with it? They give cheerfully. Like the Church in Macedonia. How far we've come here by allowing the word not to be a primary concern. It is staggeringly significant. And if you want to see where it's going to go, I will invite you to Europe. Go to the land of Reformation and ask yourself, where's God? Because you're going to have a tough time. The word it's not negotiable. But to the extent we want to try and allow it to be, we do so at our own peril. Applying the Bible is really very, very important. And there's a couple of practical applications I would say here, first of which is on the positive and negative commands. This is just an example of why you have to have a, 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 an approach to what God's Word is saying. You know, if, if God's Word says, do not do something... And we want to come up to it and say, well, you know, if he says, David, don't touch the, if his command was, David, don't touch the front of the podium, if that was truly a command of God. And I say, well, do you mean this guy? How about this? Am I getting too close over here, guy? Let me tell you, you're playing with fire. When he says don't do it, he means, if that's the podium, start running this way and don't stop. <laughs> Take the positive commands. And you know what they are. Do not commit adultery. Jesus says, if you've lusted for a woman, you've committed adultery. So now, where's that line? You run. You flee. God didn't ask you to join that battle. The world would say, "Ah, if you're a real man, you can do that. God would say, run. Run. Positive commands. Love them. your wife as Christ loved the church. Amen. Let me suggest to you, you better know what that looks like. Because you may not have tomorrow to sort that out. And I suspect, for all of you men here who do have wives, that might come up at the bema seat. It might come up. So the reality is, if we're in the positive commands, we've got to know what that looks like before we're in it. Now, I, I offer you... A healthy caution. From the positive commands, make sure you understand that your conviction on that is your conviction. I will never try and dissuade a man from this conviction in the positive commands. I will also be very careful to let him apply those liberally for the rest of you, which is legalism. We have freedom in Christ. We must remember that All things are permissible, but not all things are profitable. But we also have to remember that at best in the positive commands, we are offering a perspective to others that they may follow. However, to pick on Jim here, if I see Jim living a clear violation of the negative commands, and I emphasize with my own eyes, I need to get with that brother. And help him flee from where he's living. So, what's the point? What's the importance of a hermeneutic? Nothing in that word. But it just helps us. It helps us understand we need to be consistent in our approach to the word. No assumption, no presumption. God, what you say, goes. Okay? And i got to tell you, when it comes down to expectation management, that's a big issue for most people in this room. It is for me. I go to the Word, and it's all I can do to scrape my own presumption and assumption off of me in time just to hear what God has to say. So I'd encourage you to do that. So how are we doing? We're together? Questions? Comments? Making sense? Okay, we're going to take a quick turn towards an application, okay? Spiritual vertigo. Spiritual vertigo. We talked about the impact of sin, I'm not going to spend too much time on it except to say, if you are willfully living in sin while you are under the pressures that we are all under, I can only wish you good luck. Because you're in a terrible spot. You're not going to be able to tell if what's happening to you is by your own design versus God in His love and discipline moving you through a circumstance. I want to tell you, if you sin willfully... You should expect the law of the harvest to apply. As you sow, so shall you reap. The wages of sin is death. God does not set that aside in the sense that saying, if you want to sow to sin, guess what? You'll reap that sin. Jack had several stories about that last night. That's the law of the harvest. I'd much rather be living in the loving, disciplining hands of my Father when I'm going through difficult circumstances. So sin... I got to tell you, it will lose its flavor very fast when you're under the pressure. Make sure it loses its flavor when you're not. Biblical view of suffering. A lot of people don't uh, don't really understand that uh, suffering is part of God's plan. The interesting thing is, suffering in the sense you have to understand whether it's for right versus wrong. First Peter does a, a great job here. Two twenty, it says. How is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? Well, I call that the law of the harvest. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. I'd much rather know that I was suffering for the right reason than the wrong reason. By the way, with all we've talked about, how difficult it can be to get discernment, that keeps you up at night. Why am I here, God? What do you have for me to learn? Discipline versus wrath. Romans 5, 3 through 5. You might want to just write that in the margins. We'll tell you that if we have Christ, we are at peace with God. And therefore, anything that is in our life is for our discipline. It's not the wrath of God. It's not the punishment of God. It's God treating us as some. When you know that, that helps you avoid spiritual vertigo. Another thing I'd like to talk about is fear versus faith. Lies versus truth. Testing your true belief system. Um, i got to tell you, you fear the direction of your treasure. Ask yourself what you fear losing and you now know where your treasure is. And then compare that to what God's Word says. should be your treasure. And i got to tell you when I do that, guys, I don't like what I see. I'm motivated by fear of losing my job, and yet God tells me God's in charge of my provision. I fear losing my significance to the world, and yet God says your significance is in me. The deceiver wants us fearful. The Bible tells us we have not been given a spirit of timidity. But if we buy in on that, guess who wins for the moment? We lose our faithfulness to opportunity. Fear aligned with truth is healthy. Believe me, you should fear God. If anybody tells you that fear and the the Word is dealing with reverence for, throw that out, get back to the original text, and it will tell you that stands for abject terror. That is how we should approach what God tells us. That is how we should expect to be when we are seeing God. Who remembers who the the men were that actually were in God's presence and what happened? Flat on the floor. Could not stand in His presence. Woe is me. Woe is me. Did they fear God? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It wasn't, Hey, God! Goodness, see ya! Yeah, you know, I really. Uh, yeah, I knew you meant that. Yeah, well, you know, I didn't think it really applied. I don't think that conversation. Really Unless you can kind of pick the floor out of your teeth and somehow mumble that out. <laughs> Fear, aligned with lies, precludes love, and yet love is more powerful. And I just give you a couple of scriptures there. 1 uh, John 4.18, there is no fear in love. but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love, why? Because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, guess what? He's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And He has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love. Love his brother. Kind of gives you a new perspective on how to interact in the body, doesn't it? Kind of makes your rights and all that justice you want to seek seem like secondary in terms of the target. And we already talked about the last point here, which is the object of your faith reveals your hope. Let me check on our time, see how we're going. We're going to have to make the turn here. Avoiding spiritual vertigo, I want to offer you a couple of things. Winston talked about the fact that your mind is where the battle is. So therefore, protecting your mind is of tantamount importance. And these are some things that have been given to me as practical applications that I give to you, and I hope they are a blessing. The first is the power of gratitude, okay? i got to tell you, in your quiet time, force this. Get a list of what you're thankful to God for. Keep it where you have your quiet time. I have a binder, which is my quiet time binder. I keep it there. So that when I get into circumstances where I start to say, oh, you know, Lord, this job, man, it's a, it's, it's a trip. I can say, "And hey, boy, I'm thankful for it, God. You know, God, I'm thankful for the trial. You know what, God, I'm thankful... That, you know, I've got a wife, I've got a children, I've got provision over my head. When you get through that list, say, "God, show me what I should be thankful for," and watch the list triple. Our perspective is all off, is my point here. There isn't a man in this room that shouldn't be just feeling so blessed, so grateful in light of what Jesus did on the cross, and if that were it, that is sufficient. In America, we suffer from a gratefulness disease. We have none. Power of forgiveness. We talked about the bitter root. Don't need to spend any more time on that. Winston covers that beautifully. Power of dependence on Christ. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We need to practice our dependence One of the observations I'd make is we need to do less for God and be more with Him. If you find that you're really involved in a lot of programs that are running you and you just can't get any quiet time because after all there's all these things you need to do, you're in trouble. God is not concerned about what you can do for Him because if it needed to be done, He'd do it. He's considered... He's more concerned about who you are in him. It's heart work. It's not hand work. The hand work follows the heart work. He's interested in radical surgery of your heart. He wants your heart and his heart to be the same. Power of true ownership versus stewardship. Again, that takes us back to fear of losing something. If you fear losing your car... Chances are that's your treasure. By the way, if you fear losing your children, give them to God. You're to steward them. They're not yours, though. By the way, in this life, you don't own anything. The legal system suggests you do, but a biblical perspective would offer you don't. We're stewards. At best, if you got more things in your life, it's just more responsibility. But by the way, if you're giving them, you steward them for kingdom purposes. Power of perspective. Temporal versus eternal. Live for that day when you will meet the Lord Jesus face to face. And if everything you do is put against that, I think many things in my life certainly would change and I'll be better off on that day. So live with perspective. Your true significance we talked about, and I want to talk about the power of waiting and seeking. We live in a hurry-up-do-it-now society. The velocity of life is one of the single largest issues we as men of God need to deal with. And I say that to me first. You know, we feel a pressure to make a decision. One of our first questions ought to be, well, God, is is this the time that we need to make a decision? Amen. Would you have me wait and seek you? If you read the Psalms, wait and seek. Do a study on wait and seek. And then you'll be amazed at what God reveals to you. Because what He's going to show you is the tyranny of the urgent leads you to wrong decisions. If you wait on the Lord... It is your protection. And finally, I'd like to talk about avoiding secondary targets just as a way to move us into alien decision-making. Avoiding secondary targets are Satan's second best. When you stop serving people and you start serving programs, you're in the second best, okay? I'm not saying that you may have the gift of administration and therefore you apply it in the church. I'm not saying that at all. But if you're not interacting with the things that matter in eternity, the Word of God and people, you need to ask yourself what your ministry is. Because if it doesn't fit those things, you might be surprised, because a lot of things you might be giving your life to won't be in eternity. They'll be burned out. Wood, hay, stubble. Process versus efficiency. I gotta tell you, I, I had a really bad view of what the body of christ was all about. You know, when I first became a believer, I came to this and I thought, wow, this is this is God's deal. You know, this is going to be like just this wonderful wonderful direct path toward godly things. And so you get into it, and you start getting around that thing and you realize it's anything but efficiency. It's all process. It's all about God working in the hearts of those around you who are as imperfect as you are. But every time we see authority issues in the body of Christ, nine times out of ten, it's illegitimate expectation of the efficiency that should be taking place in the body of Christ, which presumes they know what God's plan ought to be (laughs) better than God. So I would uh, just offer to you guys be real careful with that one. Finally, planks in our eyes. I don't think I have to describe it. The word uh, takes care of that. You know, it's pretty easy to talk about how godly Dave Zabo ought to be. It's pretty easy for me. (laughs) I wouldn't dare. I wouldn't dare while missing the plank that's in my eye. The last one I'd say is the paparazzi effect. I'm sorry. I had to come up with a P and paparazzi was the best I could come up with. When you want to show, when you want to be God's man, when you want to be the defender of the faith, when you want to take that hill for God, you're in danger. When you want to show, don't. When the body comes to you and asks, pray for it, pray about it, and then if your motive is right, do it. You don't want to show. Your motive is all wrong. Right. We're going to skip the next portion on alien decision making in the interest of time. But I would tell you that uh, we talked about the fact we are aliens. We talked about the fact that transformation is critical, Romans 12 1 and 2. And this takes us to a little model that looks like this. Now, i, I got to tell you guys, I really, I sweated even putting this thing in. I'd like to make a couple of comments about this. This is the grid that I kind of see through, okay? Do not, do, do not look at this as the definitive word on the subject. And please, if you've got a better idea, would you please call me up and let me know? But when I look at decisions, not whether I'm going to have a hot dog or a hamburger for lunch, but I'm talking about major decisions, how I treat people every day, things like, The big ones that you might think about. You know, should I take this job offer? Should I be in this ministry? Those are the big decisions. I just want to offer you alien decision-making 101, kind of defined by me, uh, with all of its works. And I hope it at least is a blessing. The first thing we have to ask ourselves, and if you've left today with... uh, any other thought through the first speaker that this is not the initial place to start. It's what does God's word say about this? There isn't anything in your life, guys, that God's word does not speak to. Nothing. You have to be willing to go dig it out. If it's in the negative commands, you don't want to be anywhere near it. You flee it. You set boundaries. You repent. By the way, a heart for obedience when you fail is First John 1.9. Confess your sins. Keep the account short. God never expected you to get it all right, but He did expect you to walk in communion with Him. First way to get back to that when you've fallen short. First job one night. And you know that's a promise you can take. Because you know what He does? He forgives your sins and He purifies you from the unrighteousness. Positive commands. Understand it before you're in it. Seek counsel. That's where accountability comes in. I tell you what, if you don't have an accountability group of men who are mature in the Word, get it and get it fast. Act like your life depended on it, because it does. Your eternal life. Find men that stand for the Word and nothing but the Word. Find men who will offend you when you are not behaving in a godly way by saying, you're not in the right place. That's when you've got a good accountability for it. Don't get with a bunch of guys who decide it's a great time to have coffee and eat a donut. I gotta tell you, I'm gonna suggest to you, it might not be an appropriate use of your time, to find men who are willing to give an account to the Lord for how they gave you counsel, and those are the guys you want to be around. Because you're not going to get that in a lot of places. Okay. Now, if you go down through that, you see it leads us to that great spiritual vertigo. You notice how one block takes in this big concept? It's a great great thing, you know, as the author of this, I can just say, yes, avoid spiritual vertigo. You also need accountability for that. And finally, as we started off the session, once you've gone through this, if you know that you've been down through this, and there's no reason, it's not a negative command, you're living in the positive command, you're trying to define what that looks like, and to the best of the ability to drive counsel into your life, this is what you have, I'd encourage you to walk by favor. And I'd encourage you to be open to changes in his leading. Make your plans in pencil, I was once told. It's a great line. Make your plans in pencil. If you find that you are in spiritual vertigo, get your mind protected. Hold on your decisions. If you can't hold, get counsel fast. The decision must be made to get among godly men. And while all that's going on to protect your mind, where does that lead you? Back to God's Word. It's kind of a circular process. I offer that as a very simplistic view, but take all that's in the concepts that we've talked about here in the last day and a half, and I think it starts to take flight. Some practical questions for alien decision making. I would like to just cover a couple that I have trouble with. Have I asked for God's help? Well, I stumbled already. Do I show my trust for God in every area of my life, not merely this decision? I gotta admit, guys, I got my closets. God comes and cleans them out. Do I obey His clearly revealed will? Well, that was a tough one to know and not do that's not a place to be am I filling my mind with God's word so that my mind is being transformed I gotta tell you guys anything that is moving you closer to the negative commands get it out of your life now and fill it with something that is transforming your mind for God what decision will glorify God? man I'll tell you that one sends you, you know usually when you get in that decision mode you don't want to get to that question because that's going to take time to answer. Do I have peace with the decision? And am I, am I determined to obey and please God? I offer these. This is out of the radio Bible class. How can I know what God wants me to do? It look like, I think we have some of those out there on the ta- table. I'm not sure. But i got to tell you, this is not the exhaustive list of questions. But it's a good place to start. So I guess just in closing, because we're out of time. The messages that you've heard through the two speakers and certainly here are really simply this in my mind. Seek God with all your being on His terms, not yours. His word changes you, not the other way around. Pursue Him in the Word and in prayer. And we are to run this race according to His standards. I tell you, that's why you need some guys to help disciple you, that's why you need guys in accountability. Because once you disciple, you are a disciple, and then you enter into the ministry, guess what? It seems the schemes of evil and change. The pressures of the ministry come up. You need guys to walk with you for life. Always look to the eternal purpose he squared. A submissive and repenting heart. Think of yourself as submitting radically to the scriptures. Not that it actually is but from our American culture view, it sure seems so. But i got to tell you, that's going to be your protection. The scriptures never said anything they didn't originally say. So when you're having trouble with literal interpretation of the Bible, you want to check, are you really ready to submit to it? Steward things, invest in people, be an alien decision maker, Walk by faith and not by sight. And I close you with this. Remembering Luke eleven nine to 10 it says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be open." God wants to reveal Himself to you. Let me assure you, you are the only thing that stands between you and God. Questions? Comments? The word ask is a beautiful acronym. Remember those three. Admission. And ask, the That's great. I hadn't thought about that. That's good. Ask you. Very good. Thank you for that We're created by the wolf. Well, let let me close this in prayer. I know we have to keep on schedule. And uh, I know uh, we have another light topic coming up, so I want to make sure you guys have uh, a chance to get some refreshment here. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I uh, I thank You for this time together, Lord. I I thank You uh, how You teach us. Father, I thank You for these men who teach me Thank you, Lord, that uh, in just uh, looking at your word, the gap between you and us is so evident, but yet so perfectly filled by the blood of our Lord. Father, uh, we pray that uh, we would not be men who fall back Lord, we pray that we would not be men who would be afraid to speak the truth in love. We pray that we would not be men that would be more worried about what a man will think of us than what you think of us. And so, Father, we uh, ask that as we go from here, we would not be one who has learned, but not as applied. Father, we need your grace for this. We need your encouragement for that. And we give that all to you. In your name we pray.